Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. You know, this whole thing, in fact, he was given softballs by other other teachers in terms of questioning whether, why was your wife posting pictures of what seemingly looks like grave soaking? Say that this is what she's into. And he actually gets two attempts, two attempts here. And we cover this in our Bethel series, but he, Bill Johnson has given two attempts to answer for it. And I want to play those clips, not back to back, but I want to play the first clip right now. So this picture of your wife, Benny, being uh, laying down on a grave. And yeah, that is actually like, so when we say we don't practice this, you're like, ah, we have photographic evidence <laughs> of Benny laying on the grave. What, what, what is she doing? What's her story in that? What's what's up to? What's you know, there? our whole deal is we, we want to respond to God in a way that he wants us to respond. Mm-hmm. If I kneel, if I dance, I've shouted, I've danced before the Lord, I'll lay prostrate before the Lord. And it's that's all it is, is it's we want to be... Uh, responsive enough to his impressions that will do whatever he says to do and risk looking like a fool in the process risk being misunderstood in the process it doesn't uh, you know there's no you don't, you don't get bonus points for being ridiculed okay so that was his answer we still don't see him condemning like Shane said he does uh, we still don't um, grave soaking we don't see him saying his wife wasn't doing it so I do believe right here that Mr. Farrelly here gives him a second shot at giving an answer for his wife uh, grave soaking. There are fellow saints who are like, I just need to know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you guys we're, are safe and yeah. not, not super weird. Spooky, but not super weird. Yeah. <laughs> we're willing to do whatever we feel like you said to do. I mean, you know, honestly. Uh, so in that moment, Benny's responding to the, the leadership, yeah. the, 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 the promptings of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Yeah, yeah. it looks strange. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. I've, I've been in those places, too, where my response was not something I'd want filmed, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, some of the great evangelists have described their prayer time behind closed doors said, well, you know, we wouldn't want that filmed. It's their cry to God. You know, it, it would look strange to the, to the outsider looking in, uh, the tears, the weeping, the mm-hmm. whatever it may be before the Lord. Um, you know, there are just, just times where we respond intimately to Him, and, uh, and it's not always, it's not always squeaky clean. It's just honest. And so we we create room in how we do life. That you know, I might not get it right. I I may next week go, ah, shouldn't have done that. No, but that's right. that is how we do life. Now, one of the more interesting things about that, and I'm sure you have a lot more, more to say, but one of the more interesting things is he is talking about these private times of prayer, and specifically, you wouldn't want somebody filming it or anything yeah. like that. Guys, we are talking about a public post on Instagram. Two actually. One laying down, one Something holding. That happened very publicly at a graveyard. And so you're talking about a public event quite clearly that's happening. And he, he's saying, well, you don't want us, anyone to see that. We just want to do what the Lord's telling us to do. But, Joe, I just have to ask you, how do we know the Lord wasn't telling her to grave suck? Yeah, well, 
uh, I, the twisting of Scripture is just seems to know no ends with these guys. And my heart's prayer is that they would truly repent, be convicted, and say, wow, it's not just he says, wow, if I make a mistake next week. Not you just making a mistake. You're leading potentially hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people into these same spiritual errors, into the realm of the occult. This is really serious. If somebody comes to me and I mean, he used the scripture, well, so we're supposed to prostrate ourselves before the Lord at times. Yeah, proskuneo, beautiful Greek word. I love it, man. It's just to, to, to lay before the Lord and worship him, uh, to kiss the sun, you know, it's using that context in the Septuagint, I believe in uh, Psalms. And But yeah, that's great. We're supposed to prostrate before the Lord. Not on a grave to suck power out of it, though. If I'm counseling a man, I'm saying, you know what? I've got to address you. I've heard that you've been unfaithful to your wife. You know, and you slept with another woman. You know? Well, Joe, it says in the scripture to prostrate myself before the Lord. And I had a good heart, so I prostrated myself and slept with her. We would all say, that's utterly ridiculous. That's tw- What are you doing, bro? You're not even, I can't call you bro, man. You, you, the, what you're doing with the scripture and what you're doing with your behavior, to use that and prostitute yourself or commit spiritual adultery. Okay? Because you might, somebody might think, well, that's a strong analogy, man, because you're talking about actual adultery. That's what the Bible calls messing with demons from a spiritual standpoint. It's called spiritual adultery throughout the scripture. Just do a search on spiritual adultery in the scripture. It's when you fornicate or commit spiritual adultery with the demonic realm, when you were, when you when you submit to idols, when you s- submit to their doctrines. That's what's going on here. It's a very, very wicked thing. So to use scripture to try to pull that off. And by the way, his wife changed her name to Benny to name herself after Benny Hinn, who, by the way, from, you can go years back now, where he was seeking power. He's done the you know, the grave-sucking thing is not a new phenomenon. He sought power from Amy Simple McPherson, a prophetess who uh, got in a, a lot of trouble. Uh, she split and went on this, you know, when she was leading a church, and then she left, and she ended up uh, getting in this adulterous relationship, and she came claimed she was kidnapped. Uh, she came back and said, oh, yeah, this is where they took me. They kidnapped me off, kidnapped me off the beach, and then she went to Mexico, and, and they went and looked at to where she, there was no place. She said, down this road, there was nothing there. And so forth. So she basically, I mean, Benny Hinn was seeking her mantle, her power, you know, of this false prophetess named Amy Simple McPherson. And I just, and just look at her history. It's just so jaded and spiritually jacked up. And uh, it's just heartbreaking because uh, she's named herself after him. So it makes sense that she'd do the grave sucking and then they would do it. And then the news would get out, but they're like, oh, this makes us look like we're in the occult and so forth. We better deny it. So then it's denied. And now it's like, oh, well, yeah, this did happen all along. And uh, you know, I'm the dean, yeah, and we, I don't want to quench what... And you notice a few times they've said things like uh, the impressions that God gave us and what we felt earlier on. We felt the Holy Spirit. And I, was, I was saying, you notice, it's just, it's a lot of its feelings. And you, you can have any kind of impression. You can have an impression uh, to do that which is contrary to the Lord over and over again because guess what? The Bible talks about unnatural desires in Romans chapter 1 and talking about homosexuality and so forth. So you can have unnatural uh feelings that come from the enemy, unnatural doctrine or impulses, but to just say, well, I'm a Christian, it must be the Lord. Oh, and if there's a great big mess and a major failure, you know, we can clean it up. But they're not repenting of it. They're perpetuating it. Listen to what Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12 says about necromancy and other occult practices. When you enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable or abominable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Or one who uses divination, a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who, or one who casts spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who consults the dead. Uh, 
Verse 12, whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God is going to drive them out before you. Remember King Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 6 or so, he actually, you know, not only sought necromancers or, and, and so forth, but sacrificed his sons in the, in the fire. In chapter 8, verse, or 18, verse 11, uh, in the King James says, or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. By the way, a wizard, you remember just last year, we show on stage at Bethel, Bill Johnson and a group of people, uh, other leaders with a wizard staff that they claim is represents the wizard staff of Gandalf the wizard. And they are going to banish evil, you know, and the evil racism, that was going yeah. on, racism specifically. And, and, and instead of teaching the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, and like teaching the good Samaritan and, and how we're all one race ultimately uh, and, and that we all have the same blood, we're all created in God's image, Jesus died for all of us, and we're all created in his image. Instead of emphasizing that, it's like, we're going to banish racism through a spell. And they basically slam it on the ground. They all lift up this, uh, they're, they're, they're imitating not Christ. And he says not to imitate, the word of God says not to imitate these guys. They're imitating the wizard. And then they're slamming this on the ground and they're saying racism to be banished. And then one of them says, no, no, we got to do it three times like the movie. It's like, wow, this is so embarrassing. But it's worse than embarrassing. It's evil. Then they do it a second time and a third time and they're all excited. And I'm like, oh, Lord God, the audience is just eating it up. And it's like, people want these strange doctrines, these strange things, but their minds are not held captive to the word of God. And Chad, I appreciate what you said earlier. You opened by referencing 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, where it says, that the weapons of warfare are not carnal. They're not physical shepherd staffs. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, right? Casting out imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And you emphasize bringing our thoughts in obedience to Christ. Your mind, our minds, our hearts need to be held captive by the word of God. And we need to walk the straight and narrow path because in the last days, Jesus said, there'd be many false prophets that would lead people to the broad path and they would look like sheep, but they'd be wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah, and they may be wolves going after some meat, and that meat could be the sheep of your own flock. And, and your own family. You know what? I I don't want to get into to storytelling time, but the fact is, is that first I want to talk about something specific. If you're watching this and you're being honest, there are things that did not match with what was said at the beginning of that video, that specifically this is a myth, this doesn't get practiced, and then they tell you how it was practiced, then they tell you how his wife practiced it, and there's never a time where they're like, well, this isn't done after he said that originally. He doesn't ever go back and say, yeah, but that wasn't really grave soaking. That's right. He, he just keeps going with it. And, and we show her on graves. And you look at the five-part series. Yeah, that's right. We, we show her on the graves and how dangerous this stuff is. It's not a joke. It is serious. And one of the things, and we're not covering it here because I think we have a really important topic to continue with, especially doctrinally today that we really got to get into but one of the things that happened is we covered the sozo prayer that they do in that series and we covered it in depth we went through different views and different people practicing it and them saying a couple of things there was two different people a pastor and also a a woman who said that when being led specifically the woman said when being led through sozo prayer she was led in a prayer where she forgave god there was also a pastor at bethel who's local to us he's in agora not too far from us who said that mm. God came to him during one of these prayers, and it was Jesus specifically who came and hugged him and asked him for forgiveness. This is the kind of stuff that Sozo prayer 
is that Jesus asked the guy for forgiveness. That's yes. what Chad's saying. Yeah, you have Jesus so asking a man for forgiveness. That's not the Jesus of the originators or the main female originators. Sozo prayer. We go back to the Sanfords. There's two different groups of Sanfords, right? She goes into a, a Buddhist temple and says she can find God there, and then she ends up, according to other some other people with a very similar name uh, who are her, her proteges, end up saying eventually she acknowledged that she was demon possessed. You know and so forth and it's like wow and that this is where this thing originated and of course it's infesting the churches along with these other false doctrines amen and for more details on that just go back to the five-part series yep just go back to the five-part series and we'll put a link in not only a description but in the comments for you guys that are on here live there's already a link at the top if you just scroll to the top as well but nonetheless uh, i want to move forward from the grave soaking even though it is very important especially when we see dishonesty and we see people falling for it you know, I want to say really examine the things that are being said because just because somebody puts out a video saying they're answering something doesn't really mean it's being answered. And I think that just by playing the very clips and you guys hearing it, you know that wasn't really answered sufficiently. And I think answered sufficiently would be with them repenting. But nonetheless, this this next Amen. doctrine that once again, uh, they try to squirm away from and they try to act. Uh, we're going to show where they, they bring up straw men and so forth. But in the last series, when we talked about the Bethel and Friends Contagion in part two of that series, we bring up C. Peter Wagner. And we show not only C. Peter Wagner and some of his doctrines when it comes to the New Apostolic Reformation, as he is somewhat of the lead there in terms of uh, on the forefront for the NAR doctrine, but we also showed some of his connections, the fact that mm -hmm. he was a part of Rick Warren's thesis, right? He was a mentor over his thesis, uh, at Fuller Seminary that C. Peter Wagner, we showed a clip of him with none other than Bill Johnson and Shay On, who was there with the staff. And we showed that he was there anointing Todd Bentley, another heretic who's gone off into deep sexual sin and so forth. Claiming and, to restore him. And claiming to restore him. So claiming they were giving him this anointing and a blessing and so forth. And we see that his connections there with the doctrine of NAR... And let's see what Mr. Fairley and Mr. Valatin have to say about C. Peter Wagner. C. Peter Wagner, who I actually had some classes from when I was at Fuller. He, he taught uh, at least two classes. It was right before John Wimber was kicked out of Fuller. I'm sorry, no, John Wimber was kicked out of Fuller. And um, C. Peter Wagner would have him into the classes as a substitute And uh, every once in a while when I was down there. I was at his house twice. Uh, as a is a real honor mm -hmm. to be at a round table and be invited by yeah. him. So he's been the articulator of what NAR is, and yeah. um, you know we haven't I haven't even looked into it again. I had some classes from, haven't read any books or any writing on this, but uh, some of his articulation, people gone, well, that's NAR, and like, well, if it is, we didn't we didn't kind of model ourselves after that. We yeah. are just kind of uh, being faithful to what God's been doing with us over the season. At least not purposely modeled. No, not purposely. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the Holy Spirit is pretty profound in how yeah, he, he does. does people in certain ways. You know, when you look at some of the, maybe you would say the tendons of his core values or mm -hmm. his core values that he mm -hmm. kind of laid out over several books mm -hmm. that Wikipedia or whatever picks up, mm -hmm. and we're like, yeah, I believe those things. But the challenge is, I believe those those core values, like they're still prophets yeah. for today, still apostles. Yeah. So, C. Peter Wagner, he's saying specifically that he does teach the core values of the NAR doctrine. And they said, we didn't do it purposely. This is where the Spirit, they saw. They say the Holy Spirit, but I'm only going to use the Spirit, lowercase s, on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, it's, it's a denial with, in the same time, embracing. 
oh, you know what? Yeah, you know, spirit, you know, soaking and or, or grave sucking and grave soaking. Yeah, we've never done that, you know, in the past. Or even in this even in this little thing they're doing, it starts off, oh, yeah, the myth of this, that we've been accused of this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, your wife. And, yeah, she was in, and he goes, I came to believe this. Yeah, I don't want to kill what God's doing. It's like you can't trust them. You already know that because if you just watch those parts of the interview, you realize that <laughs> either they don't even know they're lying to cover it up or they're just lying. You know, I'll leave that before God. But either way, it's a lie, what's going on here often. And it's heartbreaking because it's leading a lot of people astray. And that's why we have to address it because we deal with spiritual casualties of people that come out of these movements. And therefore, we have to deal with the root cause of it, which is these these false teachings. So uh, with, with Peter Wagner and the whole NAR movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, uh, for them to uh, act like, well, yeah, we're not really part of it, but we embrace the, the, the core values of it. These guys are birds of a feather. They hang out and associate and teach with and team teach and so forth and endorse the ministries of people that are clearly involved in NAR. In fact, those in the NAR movement regard Mr. Johnson and Volatins, the prophet Mr. Uh, Johnson, as an apostle in that movement. And he doesn't say, oh, no, no, I'm not an apostle. And, uh, you know, we're not part of NAR. Uh, no, they have them, these guys, these leaders speak at their churches. They associate with them. And they're, they're some of the biggest leaders in the NAR movement, whether they want to rebrand it or whatever. Uh, you know. So it's very important to understand that they that these folks, they believe that God has apostles and that he's restored the apostleship to the church in some way. And the scriptures are very clear uh, that there are not apostles in the sense that there were the 12. Okay, That's very clear. Now, apostles with a small a, those who have an apostolic type ministry, apostolos is not a very common Greek word. It's used of those who are sent out to encourage churches, those to plant churches and so forth. We have, you know, we have no a problem with that. But if you go around saying you're an apostle, uh, it's probably because you want the capital A accolades, you know. Uh, and uh, so we don't believe there's apostles in the sense of the 12, but they believe, many of them, that they have authority like those apostles. And this is very important to understand because they're pushing the word of God away and the authority of the scripture and God doesn't limit things and constantly saying, I feel this, I feel that. And they take the leadership mantle, claiming to have the mantle of these other past apostolic leaders, supposed apostolic leaders, these past prophets that led mass groups, and they say, hey, this is us as well. We've got the same mantle, so you need to follow our leadership. And basically, it's like check your mind at the door and follow the impressions that I'm getting as I teach you. And it's very nefarious. In fact, the scriptures are very clear. The Lord puts things in his word for a reason. He wanted us to understand that to be the original 12 apostles, even when Judas died to replace Judas, you had to meet a certain criteria. And we went through a lot of this. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time on it. So I'm going to give you a couple points real quick that I think are decisive. In Acts chapter 1, verse 20, at the end of that verse and following, it says, let another take his office, meaning fulfill Judas's office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. This was how you would meet the criteria of being an apostle, just like there's criteria to be a deacon or an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. He goes on to say, beginning from the baptism of John, they had to go out and be part of the ministry been, uh, you know, from the baptism of John until, until the day when he was taken up from us, that is Jesus, and one of these men must become with us a witness of the resurrection. They had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. Uh, now, Paul is an apostle, but he's not considered one of the twelve. And uh, we know that because if you go through the book of Acts and you continue to read it, the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to write the book of Acts over and over again speaks of Malchus as being one of the twelve. He doesn't say, but I don't recognize him. And Malchus really was an apostle, and they blew it. He doesn't say that. In fact, what we do find out is that later Paul 
is commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's an apostle that is born out of due times, due time with, as a special ministry. But the name of the 12 apostles, and that was, a, that was a special thing right there, the name of the 12 apostles. And by the way, Paul witnessed the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, okay? These guys haven't, okay? Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Not, oh, gold dust was found over in our church, you know? These are true true works of an apostle. This is very, very important to understand because, again, Paul's addressing the Corinthians. And the Corinthians who were open to a lot of error through mysticism, through uh, sp- spiritual encounters, and through impressions that they test by the Word of God. Thus, Paul says, hence, do not go beyond what's written, right? What was written. So these guys were prone to the same error. You used to have the same spirit involved now trying to draw people from the truth through charismania. We believe in the charisma. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But charismania is something we warn about. And it's quite important that we understand that you're talking about going beyond not only the pillar of Scripture, but Paul warns about false apostles in that same book, 2 Corinthians 11. After he, now, why does he say the signs of a true apostle were among us? Because in the chapter before that, he says, he goes, I'm jealous for you, you know, with a godly jealousy that you've been betrothed to, to, to Christ and that you be dissuaded from your simple devotion to Christ. It's talking about genuine believers and that you might, he says, he's concerned, believe a different Jesus, receive a different gospel, receive a different spirit. He says, no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore, it's no marvel that his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And that's what's happening here, folks. You have people that have a ton of money, ton of power, and they're, it's really hard for them to put on the brakes, even if they're checked and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, those were false prophecies there. Ah, man, do we repent of them and say, yeah, I'm not really a prophet? No, we'll say a true prophet has to make false prophecies. That's the new criteria. That's not the biblical criteria, just like this is not the apostolic criteria. So it's, it's so heartbreaking because it's such a lie. So instead of saying, Lord, we repent, they're saying, bless this mess. We're not going to, don't clean it up. Just let us, let people believe it's blessed. And it's not really him answering. They're opening themselves up to the demonic world. It's a strong delusion. Yeah, I think you said it. You obviously hit the nail on the head there. It's not really the Lord answering. And the Lord, let's be honest, just from the get-go, the Lord is not going to lead you to follow the teachings of a heretic. And C. Peter Wagner is without a doubt an absolute heretic. And so we also want to see a little bit of let them kind of express, at least Chris Vallotton, let him express where he's applying this, not just NAR, but also the Seven Mountain Mandate. I think that, you know, a lot of that, the, the NAR kind of application is that we get accused yeah. of feels very cultish. I'm like, yeah, that's not our culture at all. Yeah. And it's not... It's, it's, you might get that from some of the theology that we believe, but the application is very servant. Mm-hmm. Like, we serve people. We, we're here to equip the saints to do the work of service. So, I believe what his argument is there is because we're not cult-like, because we let people do whatever they want in terms of spirituality and so forth. So, therefore, this application that we have is different than other NAR application that some people might have? Uh, as far as the seven mountain mandate, there's people that take it to different levels. And there's some people that believe in the seven mountain mandate, but they believe, uh, well, it means just influencing, you know, arts or education or, and I know we're going to talk about seven mountain mandate later, I think, right? So we won't get into it here, but he's basically, uh, when you see their definition of what how they view the world and the end times, 
you see that their definition, their understanding of the seven mountain mandate is that Christians are supposed to actually take over these mountains, you know, by dealing with the spiritual powers, which we'll get into later, I'm sure. Yeah, which no, is unbiblical. No, it's it's completely unbiblical, and like like you said, we we want to dig into that a little deeper, especially into the word with you guys. But there was also a comment that seemed like a passerby somewhat comment that he makes here, and it's very interesting because we would point out uh, the spirit, the principality of the air working through the sons of disobedience, and we would point out quite clearly that that would happen in false churches, and what we're going to hear is an endorsement. Of, I mean, I guess we'll just let you guys hear who's the endorsements of. I went to see the Pope. I got invited to see the Pope. And I'll, in fairness, which, there was which 40 makes people mad about you as well. By the way, you talked to the Pope. And, so, but I mean, the, the Pope began the conversation with us by telling us that he had an encounter with with the Holy Spirit, in which he began to speak in tongues, and he had to go <laughs> ask his Pentecostal friend what it was, and we all <laughs> laughed together. And I'm like. You know, do do I agree yeah. with uh, the Catholic theology? No, but the guy loved God. So, apparently to him, the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, who Pope means Papa, mm-hmm. right? Uh, apparently to him, he's a lover of God. Yeah, and he, he's endorsed through that point, Chad, as you've mentioned, but he also says he's spoken tongues. So that must mean, wow, I mean... There's all kinds of cultists and occultists that speak in tongues. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. Uh, and then, was it legitimate tongues? You know, is another question. Uh, but to, I mean, can you imagine? Hey, you know what? That guy right there, he, he he's bringing fire down from heaven. You know, he's telling people to worship that guy sitting in the temple over there. Well, you know what? That guy, he spoke in tongues, you know? And by the way, the false prophet says he looks like a lamb, but he'll speak like a dragon. He'll tell people to worship the Antichrist. So can you imagine someone saying, well, he spoke in tongues, you know, and he claims to really love God. You know, is that is that really the criteria, whether someone needs... We're talking about the Pope, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, which has killed countless thousands of Christians through the history, through the history of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the Inquisitions and so forth. And uh, just, I mean, John Wycliffe, you know, because he translated the Bible, you know, he translated the Bible in, in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, you weren't allowed to read the Bible. And he translated into English. And guess what, man? He's a heretic. You know, some of these guys were hunted, right? And he dies and he's buried. 43 years later, the Roman Catholic Church and their officials dig up his grave and they burn his body. And they throw it in the swift river, okay? Because he loved the word of God, you know? Uh, there's a series of anathemas that are pronounced upon us. You guys know there's... I mean, just read about the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent was the counter-reformation uh, movement where the Roman Catholic Church was answering the questions that the reformers were bringing up, saying, no, this is heresies the Roman Catholic Church is teaching because you're teaching that you burn off your sins in purgatory or you're teaching that you can spring people from purgatory through giving money or paying the cathedral or giving, you know, putting putting some money in, in to give them the coffer and they'll be sprung and this was basically teaching a works righteousness so the Catholic Church could build cathedrals and get rich so you have this reformation saying no salvation is by grace through faith they're saying no you have to do these certain works and guess what the Council of Trent basically said if you believe what the Protestants believe and you believe that salvation is by grace through, by, by grace alone through faith alone and that there's no merit that earns you some of your salvation at least or that you have to, you believe that you don't have to burn your sins off of purgatory you are under anathema so they pronounce a bunch of curses upon guess what if you're a genuine Christian and you believe salvation is by grace through faith and that you're justified by faith alone and that works is just simply evidence but it's not meritorious you are under the anathema of the Roman Catholic Church you're under a curse 
believe in a false gospel. If you don't accept the Roman Catholic version of the Bible and you accept the Apocrypha and, and so forth. In fact, let me read what it says about the Apocrypha in the Council of Trent. And this has not been rescinded, guys. This is still in effect in the Roman Catholic Church. If anyone receive not as sacred and canonical, as, as part of the canon, the said books of uh, entire with all their parts, it's talking about the Apocrypha as well, as they have been used and have been read in the Catholic Church, and as they are contained in the old Vatin Vulgate edition, and knowingly and deliberately contempt the traditions aforesaid, let him be anathema. In other words, you're under curse. So we want to embrace him and say, oh, Pope, you spoke in tongues. You're under curse, dude. Well, guess not. He doesn't care about biblical doctrine much, it seems, so he probably not care about the anathemas in the Roman Catholic Church. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.